Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Canadian Story. Uh, I'm, I'm here with my co-host, Zach, and I just wanted to thank all of our listeners uh, for having us, uh, for just, you know, for, for participating in this with us, and we're really enjoying it, and we're really excited for uh, today's guest. Zach, would you uh, like to introduce him? Uh, we have today with us Rob <laughs> Fauché. Uh, Rob, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Pretty good, and thanks for having me on the show. It, it is very much our pleasure. Um, could you just give us a short rundown of who you are, what you're all about, what you do? Sure. Um, what I do right now is I'm self-employed. I own a couple of cottages out in Prince Edward Island that we rent out uh, for vacations. I'm also uh, working for a small consulting company doing import consulting and duty recovery. And prior to that, I was in the corporate world for quite a number of years, uh, working as a sales executive. And prior to that, I was in the USA working in the defense industry as well as teaching. I was a programmer. And prior to that, uh, I was working in the computer games industry in Toronto, doing various work in multimedia and so on. I also taught courses in programming as well as multimedia. Academically, my background is kind of a bit diversified. Uh, I have degrees in history and philosophy as well as uh, computer science. So one foot oh, in the wow. humanities, one <laughs> foot in uh, computer science. One I did out of love, one I did because I need money. I'll let you figure out which is which. <laughs> <laughs> well, one feeds your soul, the other feeds your body, right? <laughs> exactly. That's a good <laughs> yeah. way of putting it. Right. Wow. Right. So you've got a di- you've got a diverse uh, resume here. What in in all this travel of both intellectually and in this landscape of thought, but but also geographically, what did you find you loved most about Canada as you were both away and here, and you've and you've been throughout Canada now, and you have these cottages on PEI, one of the one of the two provinces I have yet to visit of the whole really? country, been to every other you one. Come yeah. out here sometime. I got to yes. I'm, I'm actually really glad that we have someone from PEI on here because we've we've been lacking maritimers for some reason. <laughs> Okay, well, at least we won't be talking about lobster today. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, it's a good point about, you know, what I love most about Canada. In fact, I think being away for almost nine years and coming back here really made me appreciate Canada a lot more. Uh, and the way I kind of answer that question, I'm going to break it down into sort of three segments. One is uh, nature of the environment. The other is political. And, and the third is culture. So speaking to the first point, uh, what I love about Canada, especially as a motorcyclist, is our nature. Just the vastness of the country, the amount of biodiversity, uh, the plethora of wildlife once you get outside of cities, uh, the open spaces, the fact that we're sandwiched between two oceans with I don't know how many thousands of kilometers of coastline. So for me, that is really important feature of Canada. In fact, I would go so far as to say that without nature, you really don't have Canada. Yeah, no, I would agree with that for sure. Absolutely. Uh, the second sort of category I, that I love about Canada is is political. And I don't mean it in any kind of partisan way. I mean it in a general way. Uh, we're a peaceful country to start off with. You can go pretty much anywhere in this country and feel safe. We, we don't have a violent country. We have a stable democracy. In fact, one of the most stable democracies in the world. 
Uh, we're a tolerant country. We certainly see that in how we can welcome people from all other nations and walks of life. And they, they exist peacefully. They can coexist, you know, in, in a way that you move from one neighborhood to the next you're in a completely different world. Uh, I also think we're a compassionate country. We certainly do take care of people better than so many other nations do. Not saying we're the best at it, but the fact is that we do have some level of welfare. We have health care. We have pensions. So we're, we're good at looking after people in balance, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, uh, the ahead. third aspect, I think, is cultural. And uh, I do like the amount of different culture you can counter, excuse me, encounter across Canada. Certainly here in the Atlantic, we have our own very distinctive culture. There's a prairie culture. There's the uh, very multicultural aspect of Toronto or Vancouver. So there's a lot of distinct regions, I think, in Canada that are part of a tapestry. We're not a melting pot. We're a stew here. I like a stew. Yeah, yeah stews are flavorful. <laughs> they are flavorful. You don't want everything to turn into mush. No, 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 no. That, then you're dealing with like a goulash or something. Not to say that there's <laughs> anything wrong with goulash. but <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So that that's in a nutshell sort of the... the some of the key features I like about Canada. Oh, that, that was that's maybe the most systematic and, and well thought out one we got so far. I, I really like that you put the effort into like really thinking about that. So we've been told that you motorcycled across this entire country. Uh, can you share what that experience taught you about Canada and like kind of like you're you're even closer to it all when you're on a motorcycle and you're, you're really yeah. just getting to experience it. And there is a great motorcycle culture in Canada. So why don't you share a bit about that maybe, and then also like what it was like just from an existential personal level. Okay. Uh, Lesson number one, if you're going through the Rockies, ignore the forecast. It's going to be a hell of a lot colder than what's forecasted. (laughs) I can, yeah. Once you get up there, right, it gets cold. (laughs) It certainly does. So the one trip, uh, it was my longest trip across Canada started, uh, from Ontario. I was living in Ajax at the time. So one of the things that strikes you as you go on that journey is how much time it takes to get out of Ontario, just how oh, big the I provinces know, it's are. it's huge. <laughs> it's yeah. Huge. And, and, you know, I mean, as a kid, you certainly read about all these places, uh, you know, like Sudbury, you want to go see the nickel and so on and so forth. So I just remember how much time it took to get up across Northern Ontario and Northern Ontario is beautiful. It's got a very rugged terrain. Uh, it invites exploration and you wake up every day kind of excited thinking, well, what am I going to see next? It's a far cry from Southern Ontario, which tends to be flat. It's just, you know, it's the remnants of a glacier where it's up North. It's rugged. Mm-hmm. Uh, another mm-hmm. thing is bring lots of bug spray. Oh, yes, yes, true. <laughs> I remember a couple of times parking uh, to go look at a, a specific scene or something to that effect, and I'd be swarmed by bugs. So I just ran back to the bike and got away as fast as I could. <laughs> yep, yep. Especially in those uh, kind of like early to mid-summer months, like in Algonquin region, eh? it's just... You get eaten alive, or or further up in the Yukon, they they just are. <laughs> they they say that the the mosquitoes are so big there they could carry you away. <laughs> that's true, actually. Not as bad as the ones I've seen in uh, Minnesota, but that's another story. Uh, and then you know just how much you find the country changes once you leave Ontario. Uh, Manitoba to me is, is is sort of an extension of Ontario, at least in terms of, of the geography of the or, or the feel of the landscape. So 
Um, not to, to, to disparage anything about Manitoba, but it's it's not something where you're going to find a lot of mountains. You're not going to find a lot of water. It's it's great to go across it. It's it's wide open. The Trans Canada is never busy there, so you definitely have that sense of freedom that you're not going to find, say, in a big city. So just that in of itself gives you a kind of, for lack of a better term, zen. You're you're just at one with everything, the machine, yourself, the landscape. And, and there's a real beauty in doing something like that. And of course, then you cross in Saskatchewan and you find wheat fields and everything else. Again, the culture changes a bit, but also the landscape changes, the sort of the colors you would find. So if you imagine you're a painter, especially an impressionist painter, you would have a very different color palette, say, between Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Then, of yeah, course, absolutely. finally, when you... You cross into Alberta. Well, what defines that? It's going to be the Rockies. Yes, absolutely. So you know you're going to go on the long haul in a couple of days, maybe two or three days through the Rockies. Now, I went, I think it was the uh, tail end of July, and I looked at the forecast. And so I looked at uh, places like Lake Louise and so on. It, it was said it was going to be maybe 10 or 12 degrees. Well, the forecast was off by at least that much. <laughs> yep. And and it gets colder at night. <laughs> oh, it certainly does. So it was already a cool summer that year. And just, it never quite warmed up. Even when I went through Calgary, you know, which is going to be warmer than going inside the rock. It was a little bit chilly, but I had a jacket and I was quite comfortable there. So as I started climbing up the Rockies, making my way towards Lake Louise, it got cold and it was cold enough that there was wet snow falling and I wasn't prepared for <laughs> right, it. Right, right. So okay, fine. You can think I can pull off. I can do something. Well, no, you're, you're, you don't have a lot of options up there. You just keep going. You, you hop off the bike. You might want to warm up, take some photos and so on. But uh, that's another thing that's great about going across Canada. If you're a photographer, it never ceases to reward you with amazing images. Yes. So finally, you know, when I did get up to the top of the Rockies, I was cold. I was shivering, a bit miserable, but not not upset because I was rewarded with amazing scenery going up there, just simply stunning and breathtaking. And their images I still have hanging on my walls in the house. And I look back them with fond memories. Again, it was a bit cold and miserable. Finally got down through Vancouver, took the ferry to the island. And again, that was a different experience. You know, just how much even the the, the train changes. Like you get a more rugged sun, kind of a gray tones in, in, in Alberta. Then you get into BC, it becomes more green. You're, you're cognizant that you're now entering rainforest and so on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course you do see the odd bear on the side of the road, you know, you, uh, of course at night, I don't motorcycle through any of those places because I have a survival instinct. You got to worry about moose. Yep. yep. God knows what else. So when sun goes down, you, you get yourself settled and that's it. Wait till, Sun comes up and get back on the road. And I spent a couple of days out in Vancouver. I made it to mile zero of the Trans Canada, which was amazing. And I think they had a marker there, a Terry Fox statue, literally mile zero of the Trans Canada Highway. So I did get out that far. So that, that was a big scratch off on the bucket list. Yes, yes. Now, where I am now in, in eastern Canada, I'd never made a lot of trips from Ontario to eastern Canada. The furthest I ever gotten was New Brunswick. And I went to this area in Acadie called Misku, and I was overnighting there. And then I had a uh, big Kawasaki touring bike, and the clutch was starting to die on me before I got there. It was slipping. So this is a small town. 
it has one motorcycle dealership and it's not a Kawasaki dealership. Right, so. right. <laughs> I, where you was always... I going to get clutch plates? Where was right. I going to get the parts? So I, I went to the library to take basically the internet connection for the town, found a dealership in, um, I think it was Moncton, and ordered the parts. And I had to stay in Misku for a number of days. So while I was there, I thought, well, I, I can do the job myself. I'm somewhat good at turning a wrench. And I know to spin the nut off the uh, the clutch plate, I needed an impact wrench. You know, those things that, you know, you see like even when they got a car tie that comes off. And uh, so I just asked the guy at the motorcycle shop, you know, do you know anyone in town who has an impact wrench? Next thing I you know, about six total strangers are showing up with impact wrenches. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That's awesome. And that I think that speaks to the generosity and kindness of people in, in Eastern Canada. It's like, after a while, I'm sitting there, you know, putting together the clutch plates and like, guys, can you stop bringing me impact wrenches? I don't need one. <laughs> <laughs> but they just heard that you needed them. Wow. That's right. That, and then, so that is the, the Canadian just story. Was, was kind enough to drive me two and a half hours to go to Moncton to pick up the parts. Uh, the only price I had to pay is listen to him uh, grumble about his girlfriend in French for two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> but we made it there and came back and got the bike put back together. And I, I got back to Toronto. Wow. I love that. That is so did you find that that was kind of the case across the country is just a, a friendliness or, or way more in the East? I think you need to segment that according to whether you're talking city or, or uh, rural. Right. And that's also been my experience motorcycling across the USA. I find that once you get outside the big cities, people are a lot more helpful. And I also find in general that people who are average working class people tend to be more generous and kind because they know what it is to struggle. Right. True. True. Uh, you know, it's kind of a side note. I know it, there's sort of this trope that Canadians tend to be more polite or kind than Americans. And I would say that's not necessarily true because I certainly found a lot of examples of kindness or, or welcoming to strangers in rural America. And I also found sometimes hostility or just a callousness in American cities. So I right. think you find it, in both places in the same country, city versus rural, it's, it's going to change the dynamic of how people deal with you. Can we go into that more? What do you What do you think it is about that? That because there's a lot of uh, perhaps also denigration of rural people, like that they're stupid or that, that they don't understand the world, that kind of stuff. And I yeah. like I like I I was raised uh, in a town with 14 houses in it called Haines, Alberta. So uh, I I know the rural life very well and. And I've always found like what you said to be true. There's a more community. There's less comp competition and more like if your neighbor knows that you can't plow your driveway, they'll plow your driveway for you kind of stuff. And that just doesn't seem to happen as much in the cities. What do you think it is? Is it just that uh, we're closer to nature or what? That's that's a interesting question. I haven't given it that much thought, but I think on the surface, when people know what it is to struggle, I think they tend to have more empathy for others because it's a shared experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also think too, that in cities, particularly in the suburbs around places like Toronto, Vancouver, where the cost of living is very high and you need to have a high income in order to make a go of it. There is a competitiveness. And I also think too, that, you know, 
I'm oversimplifying that perhaps a bit, but if you find your neighbors got a nicer car than you, you want to have a nicer car than your neighbors. So there's all this one-upmanship. Yes, true. And, I, and I you're so close to your neighbors, so you kind of people. are always watching them. Yeah. And I found this too when I was living in uh, America. Um, I was married to a New Yorker many years ago, and they came from a well-to-do family. And one thing I did notice, and this probably speaks to your point uh, with one good example, they had neighbors who were very well off as well. And if one of their fortunes fell, say, for example, they might have been invested in a certain business or had a certain number of stocks and their fortunes collapse, they tend to get marginalized or ostracized because you're not one of us anymore. Oh, really? Interesting. And that I saw that happen. Uh, but on the other hand, I think when it happens in a rural area, people are more willing to help you. So so-and-so is down on their fortune. You know, Let's see what we can do to maybe give them a hand to make it through the next whatever period. I also found that to be very much in the spirit of the biker community in the U.S. Again, these tended to be largely working class people. I was a member of a couple of motorcycle clubs in the U.S. And before Obamacare, paying medical bills was a big struggle for people. So uh, one of my friends, his wife was afflicted with cancer. So we had uh, a couple of rallies for her just to afford medications. So everyone wow. pitches in in that case because <laughs> yeah. you think to yourself, that could be me tomorrow. Right, right, exactly. So it's, yeah, a real sense of taking care of your community. What got you into the the biker community? Can you share us a bit about that? That's Because it's a very unique, and I, I find it's the Canadian spirit encapsulated to some degree, right? Because it's like out on the road, adventure, you know, strength and honor kind of stuff. That's part of it. Uh, I think the lure of the open road is is a big, big draw. Uh, I think what really got me into it was my first ever visit to the American Southwest. At the time, I was living in Arlington, Massachusetts, working for a company that was a defense contractor. So when you're around an area like Boston or its uh, surrounding suburbs, you you feel congested. You never get away from masses of people. Right. Right. So what most people did on the weekends to get away from that is they would go up to either New Hampshire or go to Maine. But it's a bit like cottage traffic in Toronto. So if you have a holiday weekend, you're stuck in traffic. You just can't seem to get away right, from masses right, of people. Right. Yep. When am I going to be able to press the gas pedal and make the speed limit? You have that frustration. So I've been reading various books on Route 66. It still has a very special place in my heart because I've traveled it many times. And I sort of fell into the romance of Route 66. So I decided to go explore it on my own. So I, I took a plane to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and rented an SUV there so I could at least go to uh, as far as Arizona. So again, landing in Albuquerque and seeing the Sandia Mountains, like, oh my God, this is beautiful. Now, I wasn't really into motorcycling at the time, but when I landed there and I started driving around, I thought, wow, there's a very big biker culture here. Everywhere you go, there's guys exploring the road, they, whether individually or in groups. It was pervasive. And when you start driving around there, you look at that horizon, which is infinite, these, these deep blue skies and, and mountains in the distance. For me, it pulls you in. It's like a magnet. You just want to keep flowing through to the point where there's no end because it is endless in a, in a way. 
And uh, I think finally when I got to Arizona and, and got to see places like Oak Creek Canyon or Sedona and the curvy roads, I thought, my God, this has to be amazing to explore in a motorcycle. So eventually I decided, well, New England wasn't for me. Big cities weren't for me. And they're still not to this day. And I moved to Arizona. As soon as I could, I got my license and, and bought my first bike and then upgraded to a proper touring bike and never looked back since. That, that bike, before uh, someone T-boned me with it in Canada, had, if I translate it to miles, 127,000 kilometers on it. Wow. And since then, I've, I've crossed Canada to the Rockies and, and to the uh, West Coast, as I mentioned. And I've also had the privilege uh, of exploring the East Coast here to some degree. Uh, and I, I will tell you this, anyone who's a motorcyclist, you owe it to yourself to go on the Cabot Trail. Yes. I, want, I was about to ask you about that. Like, well, probably one of the greatest roads of all, uh, in the world. I think so. Uh, I've been to <laughs> can Europe a couple you, yeah, times. I've been all this. over the American Yeah, tell Southwest. us about that. Tell us about that. That that first time driving down that road on a motorcycle. Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to censor words or not. No, <laughs> so, <laughs> no we don't censor here. <laughs> all right. Well, let me sanitize it. It's a holy crap moment when yeah. you first encounter it. It's just so incredibly beautiful, big, dynamic in terms of its changing features and and just all these sort of little inlets of water everywhere and then of course there's always mist in the morning it's breathtaking and the roads are of such a nature that it's not just this long continuous line like when you drive through say manitoba it twists and turns and curves it undulates which is great if you're on a bike and there's certain so many spots where you can pull off and just take whatever time you want to soak in the scenery. And again, anyone who's been on the Cabot Trail would know what I'm talking about. And I would also say too that when you're on the Cabot Trail, you're close to so many other great things that are accessible within a day, depending on what part of the trail you're on. So if you're at the beginning of the trail, you're you're not that far away from the Bay of Fundy. Yeah, yeah, you got so, whales right there. You got icebergs floating by. <laughs> well. Yeah, depending on the time of year. Yeah. I haven't seen one yet. They used to tell me there was more icebergs here in PEI during the summer months. You could see them, but climate change, they don't happen yeah. anymore. Yeah, true enough. But yeah, it can, it's definitely go see the Bay of Funny. There's the uh, uh, Hopewell Rocks Park in, in New Brunswick. You, if you haven't been out here, I highly recommend it. And again, it's just so much to explore on a motorcycle. And being in PEI, it's all at my fingertips, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Everything's a, a day or two away. Well, in PEI, like share share with us uh, what is the the culture and the spirit of PEI like? Because we haven't had anyone from PEI yet. So, like someone who loves the place—that's what this podcast is all about: loving place, mm -hmm. right? Tell us about this place that you've come to love. Okay. Well, let me tell you how I came to love it. Um, yes. Yes. I think it was just over th about three years ago. Now my wife and I came here on vacation. You know, I was looking at a couple of travel sites and I thought, well, this looks really great. I haven't been out the East coast on our new Brunswick. So let's, let's check out PI. And we came here, we were here about a week. We had rented a, a Jeep and explored a lot of the Island. And the great thing about the islands, you can, you can go from one end to the other in, in a day, right. Providing not stopping and seeing things, but uh, we fell in love with it. And uh, 
I came back kind of smitten. You know, we, we took the plane back to Toronto and then when the plane landed and we were stuck in traffic for two and a half hours trying to get home, I said to her, mm-hmm. well, that's it. I've had enough of the rat race. I've had enough of all this congestion. I said, I swear come hell or high water by this time next year, we're going to be living in Prince Edward Island. And so it came to pass. Okay. I want to go into that because I feel like that is a big part of even just the Canadian story from an immigration perspective and, and, the, and what, like you said, we're such vast open spaces. What is Canada without nature? And, and so much of the Canadian story is going back to nature, right? So you went, you're like, I'm tired of the rat race. Walk us through that existential process that you went through where you're like, no, I want a different sort of life for myself than this small, congested, rushed, hurried mm-hmm. existence that happens so often in the cities. Yeah, I think that there's sort of maybe two layers that leap out. One is a desire to be surrounded by beauty. Ah, yes. The the second is to find ways to feel part of a community in which your identity has some meaning, that you're not just this cog in a vast machine, this, this one of a million ants marching into a city every day to sit in a cubicle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you get the sense that there's a part of your life that's impoverished by doing that. It's not spiritually fulfilling, for lack of a better term. So I think you want, uh, sir, I would think I wanted a bit more autonomy of the self. I wanted to own a business. I wanted to be able to work from home. So it was a reclamation of, of personal autonomy. And again, to the point about meaningful connections with other people, we talked about this, you know, rural versus city. I found here that I'm, I'm already being more ensconced in, into a community than I felt that I ever was in Toronto. So, uh, for example, in the motorcycle club at Harley Owners Group, the chairman is the former minister of agriculture and the environment. So, <laughs> right, you, right. you realize in, in a province this size, like, my God, you know, politicians are, are in charge of a whole province whose population, its entirety, is significantly smaller than Scarborough or Mississauga, for example. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You you feel connected to someone who might be able to do something or help you out in a way. Uh, I also found too that um, I'm able to make connections with farmers, fishermen, and so on. So it's nice to get that fresh food. In fact, uh, I I got a story here that that speaks to this type of point. I know a couple of weeks ago you interviewed my good friend Paul Fairfield on the podcast. Yes, we did, we did, yes. <laughs> so um, after I'd moved here, I took the train to go back to uh, Ajax and Terra to pull my Harley Davidson out of storage to ride it here. So when I was on the train, it was a two-day trip. Uh, it it stopped in Montreal. So there was a guy from PEI on the island, you know, old Islander. Well, I mean, I mean, old in terms of chronologically it's just he's lived his life here yes yes exactly and uh he didn't speak a lick of french so when we had to exchange trains in montreal uh he said do you know what this means or what that means and i said yes i'm bilingual so we got to talking so here's the funny bit i said well what are you going to ontario for and where are you going he says kingston that's where paul is and (laughs) right he says yeah i said okay i'm going to ajax but i'm gonna be overnighting in kingston uh, to stay with my best friends because I'm getting my motorcycle out of storage. I'll go 
spend some time with him and then ride back. And he says, well, I'm actually getting a motorcycle. I just bought from a guy in Kingston. <laughs> a what? No way. <laughs> no yeah. way. And did you guys and ride said, back together? Well, yeah. And then I said, who are you buying it from? He says, a professor at Kingston. <laughs> <laughs> at, no at Queens way. University. It's like, that's an uncanny coincidence. <laughs> that so, is. Wow. We rode back and I made my first friend in PI. I hadn't even been here two weeks. <laughs> now you guys are like tight, I imagine. Now we're buddies. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, you know, I've developed a nice little network of friends here. And but again, my buddy there, he's he knows a lot of people here. We we can't go and have a coffee where he doesn't run into someone he knows. That's, right, right. So you can go across a whole province and you just run into people you know all the time. <laughs> it, it, so it's like and it's great because, uh, you know, it, it, he knows all the fish. He knows the number of fishermen there, you know, so we get lobster dirt cheap. Uh, one of his best friends is a sheep farmer and chicken farmer, one of the largest in the island. So I buy that stuff off the farm. Yes. Right. Right from where it's grown. Yeah. And I'm surrounded by farms now, which is great. I love going out outside every night and not hearing the din of a city, the sirens, the, you know, looking at industrial complexes like i used to look outside my front window in ajax yeah you exactly. Know, you don't mm-hmm. sit there and look at a warehouse or or uh, a commercial uh mall and go ah the serenity all the beauty <laughs> ah, the beauty yeah yeah <laughs> you exactly. sit there and go when the hell am i going to get away from this <laughs> i cannot go that sentiment <laughs> i absolutely love that story where you like that and and that's actually an interesting canadian kind of thing because we are a smaller population country you often can find connections because all of the circles are so much smaller. I find my career is mostly in Canadian politics and uh, mm-hmm. like everyone is one degree separated from someone that you know who was an MP or worked on the Hill or something, right? And, right. and it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a community, right? It's, it's a family to some mm-hmm. degree. Yeah, and I feel part of it. It's like, and, and, and I think if I spend X number more years here, I'll feel even more connected with people and certainly being a small business owner, uh, I've connected with other small business owners. Uh, and a great thing, too, is even in the cottage rental business, people aren't competitive. They're helpful. Um, right. Wow. Again, speaking to the way connections work, uh, when we moved here, uh, we had a challenge to overnight. Why? Because we we're bringing four animals with us. Oh, and as you right. know, a lot of places don't accept animals, especially parrots. So... My wife found this place um, in PEI that allowed pets and birds. Very friendly chap. He's actually an expat from England. And uh, when we checked in, I got to chatting with him. And it turns out he was also from Durham County in Ontario. He was from Pickering, the next town over right, from Ajax. Right. Yep, yep. Yep. And he had been here four years. He was... Uh, running these cottages, 14 cottages down by the wall of the South shore. And so we got to talking and, and now we're good friends. So, and I never knew anything about being in the cottage business. I thought, well, I have some money. I'm, I'm not a stock broker. I don't understand stocks, but I understand, you know, sticking money in savings sound is stupid. So how can I make it grow? How can I make it work? And how can I do something that's fun and feed into my nature, which is to be gregarious and meet people from all walks of life and all around the world. Well, hell, right. yeah. <laughs> three, I saw three cottages for sale and I bought them. So we now talk about the business. We go, you know, we, we can have lunches and, 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 and he's been very helpful to me. So people aren't 
trying to one-up you. It's like, you're in the business, I'm in the business. We're comrades. We're, we're not competitors in that direct sense of the word. And I found that a much more humane way of being. Oh, oh I agree entirely. There's the, the, the bigger or the closer you get to, to the big cities, the less people just by def default take care of each other. Mm -hmm. And I, one of my favorite things, I've traveled across Canada quite a bit myself. And one of my favorite things about the smaller places that you go to is just, it, even though you aren't a part of that community, they make you a part of that community exactly. as soon as you arrive. And that is the most beautiful feeling. And it is something that has been lost from the big city life that um, people, I think people who spend their entire life in the city don't understand that there's a more beautiful and caring side of humanity readily available. They just have to leave the city to get to it. <laughs> I agree. And I would also add to that, that the dynamics of that experience change around a motorcycle for some strange reason. Um, if you have a car and you have out of province plates, people don't pay you much mind. No. Because true. it could be there for travel. It could be there for business. But when you're on two wheels and you stop at a small town gas station or whatever, you usually get that kind of that one person. There's always that one person that comes up and says, you're a long way from home. <laughs> <laughs> what you doing around here? <laughs> yeah. And so, and again, you know, Zach, I know you talked about that, but I can think of it. One ex, uh, succinct experience that happened to me in the U.S. was one of my uh, road trips across Route 66 after I'd moved back to Canada. And I was stopping this little Route 66 town uh, outside of Illinois. The name escapes me now, but it's famous for having this giant Paul Bunyan statue. So I stopped there, as I always do, to try and take some photos of the Paul Bunyan statue. Uh, actually, he'd been converted into a spaceman. It was a Paul Bunyan statue. <laughs> so it was converted into a space man. guy during the, uh, <laughs> the 60s. And the restaurant, unfortunately, gone out of business because I used to eat chili or hot dogs there or whatever. And... Uh, so as I'm taking photos of, of the, the lumberjack slash spaceman, I hear that, that guy who says, you're a long way from home, but this time with a German accent. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, sounds to me like you're a lot further away yeah. from home than I am. <laughs> and it turns out he was a journalist, a photojournalist from Switzerland. He wow. was there covering some uh, women's volleyball tournaments in California. So he, arrived on the plane a bit early. He landed in, in uh, Illinois and, and rented a car to uh, go all the way across to California because he had to report on this uh, volleyball event. So, and I said, look, I've been across this road a lot of times. And because um, he was asking me questions, what do you need to see? What do you, where, where can I go? I said, just follow me. I've done this a few times. Right. Turns out he's also a motorcyclist as well. Oh, of course. He's got a course. couple of vintage Harley Davidsons at his place in Zurich. And at the same time, too, there's a Japanese film crew there f filming a documentary about Route 66. So the, this <laughs> Japanese guy, I don't know from Jack, couldn't speak a lick of English, turns his camera and starts filming me, you know, <laughs> filming this statue. <laughs> I thought, well, that's cool. You know, I kind of smiled and I said, well, how the hell do I approach this guy? Because I'm thinking, well, I'm guessing you're putting together a documentary for Japanese TV. I wouldn't right. like seeing it. So I tried to talk to the guy. Well, obviously, there was a language barrier. So he hands me a Japanese business card, which I can't read. <laughs> but that died on the vine. I never saw the document. Oh, but still, no. it was an interesting experience. Yeah, yeah. And that's really a, like, 
I feel like what you said at the very beginning a little bit too is this openness, the open road. What what in that concept do you think is so romantic to you, but also so Canadian? Because it does seem, at least for me, I've driven across the country about five or six times now, not all the way. Uh, I've done mm-hmm. it all the way, but uh, not uh, congruently. Um, what do you think it is about that that is so spiritual, but also a Canadian spirituality in a sense? Okay, I think I, I would have to unpack that question in two very different areas. And, and I think there's one that's universalizable and there's one that might be specifically Canadian. Uh, to the first point about the romance or the lure of, of motorcycling, I think there's a number of things that feed into that. Certainly there's been in the American tradition or the North American tradition, a romanticizing of biker culture in film or in TV and so on. Um, there is that sort of cheesy element of, of the outlaw biker or being that, that dangerous type of thing. And uh, yes, that does happen. And I've known a number of people in those so-called one percenter clubs, but that's not what I'm belonging to. So that in itself, I think, creates a kind of mystery or allure to that. Uh, the other thing that I think you experience when you get past that, because that can be an initial way to draw it in, is that when you ride with a group of people or encounter a good friend you ride with, there is a real fraternity or sisterhood that exists in the motorcycle community. It, it's not superficial. It, the roots can go deep. So I've certainly made, uh, throughout the years, many friends that I've known for decades through motorcycling. I still are friend, uh, still friends to this day. And I'm like I just mentioned, my, my buddy here on the island. So there's a wonderful way that connects people. And unless you've ridden, it's very hard to sort of quantify or qualify the feeling or the sensation of, of exploring. Now, I am talking in, in the capacity of someone who's a cruiser, not a racer. I mean, some people might be all about speed, so they buy a Japanese bike, and it's all about how fast can I twist the throttle and not stay uh, out of the gene pool. <laughs> right, right. But right. when you're a bit older, you know, you're a bit um, uh, more sensitive to your... <laughs> existence and vulnerability <laughs> right, so right, fragility right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you are gonna go slow you want to sightsee so i think it's it's a twofold thing that connects you with land connects you with nature because you have no protection from the elements on a bike when you're in a car you have comfort you have heat you have air conditioning well on a motorcycle if you're going to hit a hailstorm and i've hit my share of them and at 60 miles an hour they hurt Right. If if you're encountering severe rain, you you have to be very wary of your safety and and what you got to do about that. Uh, extreme heat, extreme cold. I've been through them all, and I think what that does it gives you a respect for nature, and you understand that I'm vulnerable, not to traffic necessarily because you are in the cities, but when you're dealing with extreme heat. You can dehydrate. You can get sick. So you have to respect your environment. Now, that might be a good segue in, in, into the Canadian aspect of it. I think a lot of Canadians do feel a kind of a wanderlust to see this country, whether it's by train, whether it's by RV, or whether it's by car. So I think for people who are born and raised here, most of us, I think, have a wanderlust to want to see Canada. Now, 
when you experience it on a motorcycle, again, we don't necessarily have the most benign climate. So again, you're connected with nature. You feel its impact on you. You see it. You're certainly going to encounter wildlife on the road. And as I mentioned before, you understand that it might kill you at night if a moose right. jumps in yeah. front of the bike yeah. or a deer jumps in front of the bike. So again, you're respectful of nature. You embrace it. And again, I can only speak subjectively to the experience. It's something I crave. It's something I live for. I, I want to do it as much as my schedule permits me to do it and go as far as, as I can reasonably go, given the way my life is configured right now. And it, it just enhances my appreciation of Canada. So uh, unfortunately, you know, I've had to postpone a trip to Newfoundland I was going to take this year because, well, the pandemic has kiboshed a number of yeah, those types of plans. Yeah. But you know, Newfoundland's one more thing to scratch off the bucket list. Yeah, I'm there. I wanna, I wanna go to. P- I'm, I might rent one of your cottages uh, soon, and uh, I would love to come out there. I've always wanted. That'd be to great. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, I'd like to get to Newfoundland as well. Have you been to the Yukon at all? No, I haven't. Although a uh, guy I used to commute with, uh, his brother was Justice of the Peace in Yukon, and I heard a number of stories about how cold it is in the Yukon oh, and what happens. But it's also just gorgeous. And oh, I can imagine falls. Yeah, just I, to be a honest, whole I think I might level. I don't know what the roads are like to travel up there because when you're on a big uh, touring bike, gravel roads will kill you. You know, it's yeah, not easy you can't, to be I don't think you could. You probably can't go up into Tombstone. I did a road trip from Vancouver up. To, we tried to get the Arctic Ocean, but a blizzard hit us in about early September. We couldn't make it because the roads just shut down. But uh, yeah, no, that's a. I would. I there's a really good paved roads all the way up to kind of the Dawson uh, City kind of area, Dawson. But uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's there's it's just there's nothing quite like that. It's like um, it's a totally different, more desolate beauty than the Rockies normally would kind of give you. And I can see this, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I mean, I have a Jeep, so if I wanted to go, I think I'd take four wheels and all terrain. Yeah, type I think thing. that's probably a smart. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I had a uh, I had a question for you. Um, so my background, I, I've spent the past decade um, touring with a band. So I've been across Canada and then a mm-hmm. number of other countries. Um, and everywhere I drop into, you know, we're only there for you know a day or two, right? Um, and so like, uh, so I've been to PEI and I have this concept of PEI, but I have it from the perspective really of, I mean, I would like to think that I'm above it, but really just of a tourist of someone who just dropped in there for a moment. So I think of the East coast, I think about seafood, I think about, you know, like the, the lobster and all of that. What is the East coast to someone who lives on the East coast that maybe isn't the tourist perspective? Mm. I'm, I'm starting to come to grips with that. Uh, first of all, it's a far more hegemonous culture than the rest of Canada. Uh, and by that, I mean that the people who have lived here can count several generations back. And I think that's the majority of them. I don't know what the percentage would be, but I'm willing to say it's over 70%. Although the number might be changing now, PI as more people move here. But if you go to New Brunswick or rural Nova Scotia, there's a sense of rootedness, a sense of history. And it's overwhelmingly Celtic. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. what I think emerges from that tradition is a folklore, a culture that is uniquely Canadian in the Atlantic sense. So, for example, the music we have here on the island is called Cayley, which is a, a Celtic music night. So when you go there, you at least for the first couple of times we went there, you realize that everyone there knows each other. They're part of a community they might have known their grandparents, their great-grandparents, and so forth. 
So it connects them. The music connects them. The town hall connects them. And it's great music. And, and you understand that, yes, it does sound like Irish music, but there's also something that's been modified about it that makes it Canadian. In the sense that if you look at Cajun music or Creole music in the U.S., it, it has roots in, in both the Black traditions as well as French Acadian traditions because the the Acadians moved down to, to New Orleans. But it, it morphed into something unique. It morphed into its own identity. You're still sensing that history, those traditions. And I would say you find that in the music here. You might find it in the folklore here, the folk art and so forth. So I think I find that experience very different than, say, Ontario, especially Toronto, where the defining feature is multiculturalism or newness, that mm-hmm. everyone is mm-hmm. relatively new to the city. If you look at the census data, uh, I don't think you'd find the majority of people could trace their their um, families back more than two generations, perhaps one generation at best. So I think that's a, a big difference. It's, it's an unbroken history. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. A rootedness. Yeah. Yeah. And that and rootedness provides the community that you found so appealing and decided to settle in because you're like, this is what I've been looking for. Exactly. And I find it too, like, what's interesting, and I don't know if you'd find this experience in Ontario or even some of the ghost towns in the US. I, I love photography. It's one of my hobbies. So um, I often throw a camera in the, in, in the back of the motorcycle and I go on day trips and take photos. And one of the things I always like, for whatever reason, appeals to me is old buildings that are that are collapsed or near collapse. Something that looks that it might have been there for well over a hundred years. So I'll post them on Facebook, and I'm a member of a couple of different Facebook PEI groups. And when I post it, I don't know this building from Jack. I, you know, it's just a nifty looking thing that appeals to me because, well. It, you know, it could be a set for a horror film. It could be a set for whatever. But within a couple of hours, there are dozens and dozens of people who comment about this house. They talk about when I was a kid, those people there gave us lemonade when we were kids. Right, right. Wow. wow. And, and it's like this web uh, that sends out many uh, strands and pulls people into the the center and it's not uncommon for me to have dozens of comments from people say, oh, I remember that house. Uh, yeah, so-and-so owned it. So-and-so bought it and left it and didn't fix it. So, my God, the, the history just unravels and at light speed when I post it. In front of you. Oh, I love that. Uh, you, uh, so, obviously, the East Coast uh, would have a massive uh, fishing community. Mm-hmm. Is there a thriving hunting community there as well, uh, especially on the island? Not really, um, no. because we don't have that much game hunt. You know, th- th- there's some turkeys and so forth. There might be ducks. But if you're looking to hunt deer, moose, or any large game, we just don't have it on the island. Yeah. Uh, so islanders who like to hunt will typically go to Newfoundland or New Brunswick to hunt. Now, interestingly enough, one thing we do have here in loving spoonfuls are foxes so and they're oh, friendly really? <laughs> and they're no friendly way. yeah lots oh, wow. of them I, you know, I love taking photos of them in fact the great you know you, you come up to them on the roadside they just kind of look at you it's like yeah whatever i'll pose you know the fox is good and <laughs> you take some photos it's like yeah it's like this is national geographic stuff and i haven't had to work for it and other people that. have found the same but that's one of the few forms of wildlife on four legs that you see everywhere but they're not indigenous to the island. They came here 
through the fur trade. And when the fur trade collapsed, I guess they just released them into the wild and they they thrive. <laughs> right. Wow. I guess they have so, no natural predators, really. Yeah. And another thing, too, and I see this happen very often at the cottages, is uh, the sheer number of bald eagles and hawks that we have here. Oh, wow. So uh, one thing I can always count on is seeing eagles almost wherever I go. And I know there's a family of ospreys that live on Trackety Bay, which is near my cottages. So one of the things I love doing is I always ride out there, walk on the bay, you know, and uh, watch the osprey catch their fish. You know, just it's amazing watching them do their, their, their thing. And it's common. It's not like you really have to go out of your way to look for it. So, uh, again, just so much wildlife here, especially birds. So if you're into birding, you know, by all means, come here. You won't be disappointed. Yeah. Oh. Do you have golden eagles there as well, or just the bald? As far as I know, we only have the bald eagles. I haven't seen any other kind. We do have a variety of hawks here, but I don't know if we have different varieties of eagles. Well, well I we could talk, probably talk to you for the next three or four hours, but we have another <laughs> guest coming on rather shortly. So I just, wow, I'm very grateful for this. This is a, this was a very rich uh, reflection well, on you. something that, I love about Canada so much that we haven't articulated yet. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I have one last question for you. Just, sure. uh, just a, a point of curiosity. Have you read uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? Oh God, when I was a teenager, I've forgotten it so, so much. But the only thing I can remember from it is old bikes suck. They always broke down. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my question is, uh, I guess, I guess maybe you don't remember very clearly. I, I was curious as a biker, um, if you have any comments as to how accurately that book represented biking across a country. Well, again, there's some very sketchy memories on it, but um, I would think it depends on the individual. If, if, if you are a person who's, who might be more philosophically oriented or looking for spiritual meaning and things, I think it'll resonate deeply. On the other hand, if you just want to be what's called a BAB, badass biker, and be a brawler or whatnot, maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow, fair, thank you, man. Well, well fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on the well, podcast thanks, and, uh, and talking to us. Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The CAD Story. That's The CAD Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.